Good morning, Bethel. It's good to see you all here with us this morning as we've come to worship the Lord together. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, this is the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Morning, Bethel. Good to see you all here this morning. Good to be together as a church family. Um, Okay, well, if you are not there um, now, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look specifically at a portion that Tyler read just a few minutes ago. Um, So we're in the middle of this new series here. Um, It's going to run for three weeks. It started last week. Um, it's a refresh of our values. We've got three values. What are they? Gospel, community, mission. There's a sign out in the lobby now, thanks to um, Zach and his artistry. Um, so anyway, hopefully that'll remind us. Uh, gospel, community, mission. So this morning, last week we looked at gospel. This morning we look at community. So our values are, are a way to keep us centered on what's Uh, Most important, what's central, uh, to keep the main things the main things. So I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. We're all on planet Earth to glorify God, okay? We exist to glorify Him, enjoy Him forever, like the old catechism says, right? And help other people do the same. So if you look on the front of your bulletin up at the top right corner, it says we exist to reflect God's infinite worth. He's our treasure, He's the greatest treasure in the universe. But we can only do that through Christ. 
Um, because our sin has separated us from him, we can be brought together with him and once again praise him for his grace, for his goodness, for all of who he is, um, point to, reflect his glory through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all people. So the values then are how we flesh that out. Um, how do we actually do that? How do we reflect God's um, infinite worth through Christ? Well, by keeping the gospel at the center, it is the only power to change, to change us into the image of Christ so that we can once again reflect God's glory in clear, bright, winsome ways. We're supposed to be the light of the world. The only way we can do that is if we are transformed by the power of the gospel. So remember last week I said formed. We were formed originally in the image of God. And then because of sin, we were deformed. And then Jesus came to transform us and we are being conformed into, back into the image of Christ so that we can once again glorify God. So the gospel, we're never going to leave the gospel behind. When we hit community and mission, it's always going to be empowered by the gospel. Um, so when we get that, when the gospel is our treasure, when Jesus is our treasure, when it really sinks down, then we are changed from the inside out, and the gospel has this centripetal and centrifugal force. Okay, it sends us in because we want to draw near to God. God is drawing us in to Himself. He wants to be in intimate relationship with us. So the gospel moves us closer to Him, and it moves us closest to, to each other. Anybody else that's in Christ is together. In Christ. So there's unity that results. The gospel produces this kind of community we're talking about. But then it also has this sending out centrifugal force to it because just like God sought the lost, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So when we're in Christ, we want to help other people get in on this. So it's constantly in and out, in and out, in and out. So makes sense that the gospel leads to community, leads to mission. So this morning, it's community that we're considering. Um, and so we're going to stay in Colossians for the whole series, um, for this three-part series, uh, looking primarily this morning at chapter 3, verses 9 to 17, but we'll see some other um, portions in Colossians as well. And then next week, we'll look at mission from Colossians 4, 2 to 6. All right? So let's dive in here and start in verse 9. There's three points this morning. Um, there's an outline in the bulletin, or the points will be up here on the screen. So made new in Christ, let's look at verse 9. Paul writes, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. So we already heard in Colossians 1.15, if you remember, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So to be renewed after the image of our creator is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? So Christians are those who have put off the old self and put on the new self. It's what baptism pictures, right? Baptism is a picture of what happens at conversion. It's making that public, what God has done kind of secretly or, 
or internally in our hearts. So we all, if you look at Colossians 2.13, you can see it there. We were all dead, spiritually dead, cut off from God in our trespasses. Skip down a little bit. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And we were also raised spiritually with Christ, given new spiritual life. So look back at Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So our old self, our sinful self, who we used to be, was crucified with Christ. When you come to faith in Christ, when you receive Christ as your Savior, this is what happens. The old self no longer lives. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, right? Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5. So we're made new in Christ by the power of the gospel, and yet the vestiges of sin remain, right? The Spirit of God is dwelling within us, which makes us uncomfortable with the sin that remains. And so that's why there can be this internal war that Paul talks about in Romans 7. He talks about in Galatians 5. So we've been delivered from sin's penalty. There is no more judgment. There's no more condemnation. There is no more wrath for us. Jesus has rescued us from that. He absorbed it in our place on the cross. We're free from that penalty of sin. But we are being delivered from the power of sin. The ultimate kind of dominion of sin has been broken, but we need to continually be freed from its power. And one day we are going to be delivered completely from its presence. I mean, imagine just not even having to deal with sin or temptation or anything (laughs) at all. So that day is coming. So we have been made new. And we need to become who we are, right? We need to actively put off the old nature, what is earthly in us. Paul talks about it that way earlier in chapter 3. And so when it rears its ugly head, we actively put it off and we actively put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of Jesus. So he applies it here in verse 9 to lying, first off. Don't lie, because this is who you are, right? See? So if you're spinning the truth for your own selfish purposes, if you're shading the truth and hiding, trying to take your own self-preservation into your own hands, if you're exaggerating or downplaying for your own personal benefit or protection, that's old nature stuff. Who are you? Are you a slippery, shifty, godless manipulator? Do you have to tell the world a story to get what you want? Do you have to give people a line in order to save your own skin? Wait a second. Like, aren't you a Christian? Hasn't God filled you up in Christ? You've got all you need. We talked about that last week. I mean, isn't God for you? then why would you need to take matters into your own hands and lie to save your own skin? So through Jesus, God did everything necessary to save our souls. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. 
So again, if we're in Christ, if we know who we are, don't lie to one another. It's like this. It's like you need to take off the nasty, smelly, old rag of a shirt, take a shower of repentance, and put on the white clothes of honesty and integrity that are yours already in Christ. So, like, if you're a Christian, guess what? Those clothes are hanging in your closet. Jesus died to purchase them for you. They're, like, pressed and ready to go. So you get all, like, you know, you trip and stumble and say some stupid things, and you get all dirty and smelly. What do you do? Like, I don't want to stay in this. Ugh. Like, get it off. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then you put on the new self. This is who I am. Purchased by Jesus. He put it in my closet. It's ready for me to put on. So do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul goes on to say, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Where is here? Just think about that verse. Where is that? Here there is not these divisions, these classifications. We'll look back at verses 9 and 10. Does it tell us where? You've put on the new self, being renewed after the image of its creator. So here is in the realm of the new creation, right? This new you, the new us, this new gospel community. All the old divides don't matter. So this isn't a flippant list here, you know, like some kind of cheesy, you know, hold hands around the campfire and you forget about it when you go home or something like that. I'm not blasting. There's, there's a lot of good retreats and God's done a lot of good things on retreats. Okay, you know what I'm saying. But it's not cheap veneer unity. This is miracle-working power of the gospel unity. Okay, so it so transforms our identity that it makes miracle community possible, miracle unity possible. So Jew and Greek, I mean, are you kidding me? That was like Jew and Arab today. That was like Dalit and Brahmin class today. Like, those don't go together. The, they're not even on the caste system. They're the untouchables. They're kind of off the charts low in the Brahmin class, the highest class. Imagine those people just dwelling together in beautiful unity. That's just not going to happen unless your identity in Christ so transforms who you are that those things don't actually matter anymore. So circumcision and uncircumcision, again, huge issue in the New Testament. It was the boundary marker, who's in, who's out, as far as the people of God is concerned. And now, through Christ, it's meaningless. It means nothing. So Paul says in Galatians 6, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. That's all that matters. So high, close, high class, low class, sophisticated, unsophisticated, nothing but sin is a big enough barrier to impede our unity. 
So not political persuasions, not school choice, not musical preferences, not where you live or what you do for a living or how much you make or how little you make or what color your skin is or how educated or uneducated you are. In Christ, we can look down on no one. In Christ, none of us are better than anyone else. So this is the end of elitism and sexism and classism and racism and cliques and whatever. This is the end of the old writing off the young and the young writing off the old. In the church, it ought to be different. So here, here in the new creation community, there are none of these divisions, but Christ is all. He's everything. And he's in all. So he is the one that matters. He is everything to us. Oh, I love that we sung that song this morning. You're all to us. He is everything to us. And if he is everything to us, then nothing else of how we are different is ultimately a barrier to our unity. He is all. And, you see, he's in all. Of course he's in all. He's in Jewish Christians. He's in Greek Christians, he's in barbarian Christians, he's in Scythian Christians, he's in, you know, whatever our little divisions might be, and he's all that matters, so we can be one. So do you see how community is inextricably tied to the gospel, to Jesus? It's who we are that changes who we are. So who we are individually as we're transformed by the gospel That is what changes who we are as we get together and live like the church together. Or you could also say it this way. It's whose we are, you, me. It's whose we are that changes who we are. Okay? So I walked down to the toddler's room this week. Um, Tyler and Whitney put together an order for good stock of new children's books in the uh, children's ministry in the preschool rooms there. And, you know, he told me about a few, and I wanted to go read them. So I just needed a brain breather at one point this week, and I just walked down there and grabbed a couple books. A lot of them we were familiar with, but um, a couple of them we weren't. So this little one, these are like shameless plugs here, so for your families, but also you might want to just go take a breather and go read a couple of books on a little tiny chair. Um, in one of those rooms. So this book's called What is the Church? And in the preface, a guy named Jared Kennedy says, at our church, we call our people to stop going to church and stop, start being the church. That's a good word. Any amens? Okay. So I'm just going to read a portion of the book to you as we, um, I think you'll see why in just a minute. So he writes, well, actually not he. he. He wrote the preface. It's another couple people, Mandy Grochi and Bill Bell that wrote the book. Okay, so let's say you asked me what's the church. I'd say, not what, but who. The church is made up of people just like me and just like you. The church is not a place we go to meet on special days. It's us. It's he and she and we called out to bring Christ praise. Christ died and rose to life again to wipe away our sin. This good news makes us people who love and trust in him. 
God's church is built of human hearts, men, women, girls, and boys. By faith, we're made God's family. Together, we rejoice. We all are like an orphan child. Our sin makes us alone. Through Jesus, we're adopted in and treasured as God's own. There's more to that book, but I'll stop there. So I think that's a good word for us, a good illustration of what Paul is getting at here in Colossians. We need to know who we are, the body of Christ, the family of God. We need to become, in actuality, who we are in Christ. Our identity actually gives us our aim, and it also gives us energy to shoot for it. Our identity drives the activity of putting off and putting on for the sake of sweet, rich gospel community. So here, in the realm of the new creation community, Christ is all and in all. So I've read this quote before, but it, it's worth repeating by, by A.W. Tozer. When Christ is all and in all, that's when things get really good. So he wrote, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. The body becomes stronger as its members become healthier. The whole church of God gains when the members that compose it seek the things above where Christ is. So we all sung, you're all to us. That is absolutely true. Jesus is all to us. But is he all to us? Like, practically. You see? Like, you're all to us. Please be all to us. I mean, where else are we going to go? All the fullness is in him. We looked at that last week. So, you're all to us. But, oh man, how we need him to be all to us if we're really going to become the community that he intends us to be. So, we need, we've been made new in Christ, point number one. Point number two, we need to become new through Christ. Look at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Isn't this beautiful? So he's going to get to some commands. And before he does, he reminds you again of who you are. (laughs) Gospel, empowering, healthy community. There it is. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You're God's chosen ones. You are holy. Positionally, in Christ, you are holy. So become what you are. You are beloved. You don't have to earn God's love and favor. You already have it. You're not on trial constantly. You are secure and safe in Christ. Become who you are. Experience that security through Christ. Look back just real briefly at verse 4 before we go any further. You see the contrast here. When Christ, who is your life, there it is again, (laughs) appears, 
He's everything to us. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, your old self, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Get those nasty, dirty rags off. Get in the shower of grace and get in the closet. Get some of those gospel clothes on. On account of these things, the wrath of God is is coming. In these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So those nasty, dirty rags, it's not who you are, right? If Christ is your life, then repent and take a shower in grace and forgiveness and go put on the grace of Christ. So look at how he goes on here in verse 12. Compassionate hearts. Where do those clothes come from? I'm like, how compassionate has Jesus been? How compassionate is Jesus with you? Like, read the Gospels. It's all over the place. He had compassion on the crowds. He had compassion on all kinds of hurting people. His heart went out to them, and so he went to them. And he met their needs. He's overflowing with compassion. And when you know that compassion, then you're enabled to put on that compassion toward others. It's the gospel that produces this kind of relational grace, kindness. How kind has Jesus been to us? (laughs) A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We have such a kind Savior. And if we know that kindness, if we are kind of soaking in that kindness, if if that kindness is real to us, then how can we not put on kindness and just get off the opposite? Humility. How humble is the Lord Jesus? He humbled himself to the point of, I mean, incarnation is just mind-blowing in the condescending humility of Jesus to stoop down to become one of us to save us. So how could we walk around prideful when he humbled himself for us to lift us up? Meekness. (laughs) I'm meek and lowly. I mean, the meekness of Jesus is beautiful. To his own hurt, to his own, like, infinite suffering, he did not take matters into his own hands. He walked the path the Father set for him, meekly suffered like a lamb led to a slaughter, open not his mouth, all for us. We don't have to fight for our rights. We don't have to fight to save ourselves. He's for us, not against us. He will bless us and protect us. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. We can put on meekness, patience. (laughs) Have you ever just stopped and thought about the patience of God toward you? Like how he could just be like, Okay, I've had enough. Like, you're ridiculous. You're so thick. I'm done with you. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is incredibly patient. So we know that patience, and we can share that patience, put on that patience with other, with each other. Like, you know how long it took you to learn this or that or the other thing to grow in that grace. So can you not run into another brother or sister and give them that same grace? 
rather than being critical and nitpicky and you know, snap judgments and all of this. So we're God's chosen ones. We're holy and beloved. Don't you want to put these clothes on? <laughs> Don't you want other people in the church to put these clothes on? Like, we just all walking around looking like this. Beautiful thing, right? Of course, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be difficult people among us. You know why? Because you're here. And I'm here. We're all difficult at times. So come on, what'd you expect? Of course we need to bear with one another. How's God dealt with you? Has he been long-suffering with you? Has he born with you? He bore everything for you. He bore your sins in his body on the tree so he could take your burden and free you. So do you really expect not to have to bear with an immature or annoying or slow-to-learn saint? Come on. Seriously? Do you really expect not to be sinned against in the church, in this church? If one has a complaint against another, how many people have left at that point? No. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Don't let it layer up, you know, all these grievances. No, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Like, what if we always kept the gospel in front of us? Like, value one. Central to who we are. Central to everything. What if the whole parable, you know, Jesus gave of the 10,000 talents that the servant was forgiven of? Like, what if, what if that was just front and center all the time? Like, oh, I can't believe this infinite debt. He nailed it to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. If somebody sins against you, okay. It's not a good thing. We may need to work through it. We might need to deal with it, whatever, but I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm going to be quick to forgive. Who do I think I am? Choking somebody over 200 denarii when 10,000 talents has been forgiven me. And above all these, verse 14, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Like, there you go. This is like the mother load right here. <laughs> this ought to be our specialty in the church. This is God's specialty. 1 John 4, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the sin-bearing sacrifice. He absorbed all the wrath of God in our place for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this love is what will bind us all together in perfect harmony. But there's more, and it all flows from Jesus, in whom, last week, all the fullness of deity dwells, and in whom we have been filled, like it says in 2.10, Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. I think sometimes we just remember the first half of that and disconnect it from the second half. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's not just speaking to you personally, though it is. It's not just talking about your little personal life bubble having peace ruling in your heart. You're not anxious personally, although it certainly has bearing on that, but it's you, plural, the church, let the peace of Christ rule over our relationships because we were called to be one. We're called in one body. 
So don't let anything else rule. We're called to be one body. We should be at peace with one another because Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. Um, Dick Lucas, a uh, British preacher, writes this. He says, It's inconceivable that those who share with one another the benefits of that great peacemaking work of the cross should live with any hatred or contempt for each other in their hearts. The Christian congregation should be a realm of peace just because every Christian is totally committed to the rule of peace. When Christ rules in the heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. When Christ rules in the heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. It is inconceivable that those who share with one another the benefits of that great peacemaking work of the cross should live with any hatred or contempt for each other in their hearts. And then Paul goes on to command us to be thankful. (laughs) He knows... He knows that grumbling will erode a community like poison. I mean, negativity spreads like a virus. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he goes on to say, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. I, I have a few things to say about this, but man, that song that we sung... Come to the altar. Jack, can you put those? Teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Ephesians, parallel passage, talks about addressing one another in songs. So we're actually, yes, we sing songs to, to God, but do you know that we actually sing to each other on Sunday mornings as well? Who are you singing to in this song? You don't need to tell God to come to the altar. But I'll tell you what, I needed to hear, like I'm so thankful for the people that prepared to lead us in this song because I needed to hear this song this morning. I needed to hear the gospel. So brothers and sisters, did any of you need to hear this? Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Like, I sometimes need to hear, like my heart can be cold and the praises of other people can kind of awaken me back to reality. Like, what a savior. Yes, you're right. What am I doing? Like down like this, you know, just. What a savior. Isn't he wonderful? Yeah. Is he like, hey, isn't he wonderful? That's what we're doing. We're saying to each other, like, wake up. We've got to praise Jesus. He's everything. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Like, yes. So gospel produces community. In this community, we help each other to believe the gospel. It's a beautiful, self-perpetuating cycle, the right sense. So back to the passage, verse 16, the word of Christ dwelling you richly, filling the word of Christ, filling the community of Christ so that the word of Christ shapes the community of Christ. We've got to let that happen. That is on us. That's on all of us. We cannot be you, each and every one of us in here. We can't be lackadaisical or ho-hum or indifferent to these things, to letting 
letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's responsibility on all of our parts. We're not passive here. So we ought to do these things with all of our heart in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see how in this section that, like taking it seriously, is the way Paul kind of concludes it? The, the new identity creates this new community, and in verse 17, put it together with verse 23, there's like this punch at the end that says, do this thing with all your heart. Get after it. <laughs> Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, all the stuff I've been talking about, living it out in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus empowered by him for his glory, giving thanks to God the Father through him because you know that you actually can do these things through Christ. Thank you, God the Father, for doing this for us. And then put that together with verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whether it's working out your roles in your home or in your workplace or whatever, or working out these dynamics in the church, do it heartily as for the Lord. Which leads us to the last point. For this morning, gospel community takes work. So do you see it in the passage? Put off, put on, put on, put on. Whatever you do, whatever you do, takes work. So I hope that you see that that is work that we need to own. And I hope that also you see that it's worth it. That this kind of work is worth it for the glory of Christ, for the good of his people, for the good of all peoples good of the watching world, it is worth it. So last point here, that this new community is what Jesus died for. He obviously believed it was worth it. Paul clearly knew it was worth it. He showed that by like the, the lengths that he would go to to struggle for the health and the growth and the purity and the beauty and the strength of the church. He worked with all his might, heartily as unto the Lord, to grow, to cultivate, to protect this new community. So look at Colossians 2. You'll see how Paul worked hard for this. In fact, flip back to chapter 1. Just the, Let's catch the end of that. Him we proclaim. We preach Christ because only Christ can change us. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then Colossians 2, 1 to 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. This is what he's fighting for. This is what he's struggling for that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. He wants the church to be knit together in love. And he's willing to go to whatever lengths necessary to make that happen, to reach all the riches of full, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So does that mean it's just for the apostle, professional Christian types? This kind of work? No. Flip back to the end of Colossians. You know who Epaphras is? It's a normal guy. <laughs> and Paul commends him, and he says, Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's from Colossae. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling 
on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So, Jesus certainly believed it was worth it. and He gave everything to make this possible, to create this new community. Paul laid his life down for it, struggled mightily. Epaphras wrestled on his knees that it would be, that it would take root and bear fruit in Colossae. So is the new community for which Christ died worth the work to you, to me? We've got to ask ourselves that. That new community, the stuff that we've walked through in chapter 3 here, that's what God wants to create here. Where it's present, praise God, we thank him for that. He wants us to keep cultivating it. So we can welcome that work and join God in that work, or we can work against it. So we work against it by not keeping the gospel at the center, not taking off our dirty clothes, getting way too comfortable in them, not showering in God's grace, not putting on the graces of Christ. We also work against it if we're just passive or indifferent, or we just throw up our hands and give up and just kind of float along. We also work against it when everything else in our life is more important than gospel, community, and mission. So, brothers and sisters, just real practically, like, how do you approach Sunday mornings? Do you come, like, ready to get to work? Not because you're coming to earn anything or, you know, no, 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 but because there's so much to be done to build up the body of Christ. And yes, you're going to come to receive to drink in the grace of Christ, but you're also going to be on the lookout for how to bless somebody, serve somebody, listen to someone, bear someone's burden, create an environment here where we just have a warm welcome and people know that they're loved when they walk in these doors. So we've got to approach Sunday mornings proactively. How about community groups? Are you involved in a community group? If you're not, why not? This is the primary way we seek to cultivate gospel community throughout the church. It's not the only way. It's the primary way. So what's the obstacle? Is there grace to overcome that obstacle? To say, I need it more than I might realize I need it. And you know what? Other people need me in there too. If you're in Christ, you've got gifts, you've got love, you've got... Hands and feet, service to contribute. And you know what? For those of you that are in community groups, I know sometimes it's not awesome. (laughs) Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But again, living out Colossians 3, community is what we're after. So how hard are you working at contributing to this kind of community here? All empowered by the gospel of Jesus. So if the gospel is everything to us, to you, to me, then gospel community is going to be important to us. If gospel community isn't important to us, if you're not working at cultivating that here, I've got to ask, is Christ everything to you? Is the gospel really at the center? Because we've been made new in Christ, not just to live like a lone ranger, but to actually be a part of the body, to build up the body. We're called to become what we are, this new community through Christ. It does not happen in a vacuum. 
It happens in community for the sake of the community. It's a call to become the new community Jesus died to create. So I'm going to close here with another children's book reading. Um, I'll cut out a little bit, just a very little bit. So this is another book. Tyler told me about this one. It's actually why I went in there in the first place. He said, you got to, have you read this one? <laughs> so it's called God's Very Good Idea by Trillia Newbell. In the beginning, in fact, before the beginning, God had a very good idea. God's idea was to make people, lots of people, lots of different people who would all enjoy loving him and all enjoy loving each other. Should I be like a good teacher here and just try to do it this way? Okay. They would all be made in his image. They would all be like mirrors reflecting what God is like. Maybe she read our purpose statement. Um, nobody got that? Okay. Reflect. Okay. All right. Is it getting warm in here? All right. So because God is full of love, they would be full of love too. So God got to work. He made a beautiful world for people to live in. Then he made the first people, a man and a woman, and he said to them, Be happy. Enjoy loving me and loving each other. Have a huge family that will fill the earth and look after the earth and enjoy the earth. God carried on creating people. All of them were made in his image. All of them were different, too. Some were men. Some were women. Some like reading. Some like riding bikes. Some had darker skin. Some had lighter skin. Some had curly hair. Some had straight hair. We live in God's world. We're all different, but we're all also all the same. Everyone you see is different than you and the same as you. They might look different or speak different or play different, but they're all made in God's image, and so they're all valuable. This is God's very good idea, but people ruin God's very good idea. The first people chose not to love God. This is called sin. And because they chose not to love God as they should, they forgot how to love each other as they should. We are the same. We choose not to love God, and so we are not able to love each other like we should. We sin. Sometimes we treat others badly because they are different than us. People fight with each other. People are mean to each other. People laugh at each other. Because we've ruined God's very good idea, he is not pleased with us. Our sin means we can't be friends with him or enjoy living with him. We need God's forgiveness for ruining his very good idea. It's the same for everyone in the world. People with darker skin need forgiveness. People with lighter skin need forgiveness. People with curly hair need forgiveness. People with straight hair need forgiveness. But God was not surprised by people ruining things. He had always had a very good plan to rescue his very good idea. So God got to work. He came to earth as a person, Jesus. Jesus loved people who were different than him. He loved people who no one else loved. He always enjoyed loving all the different people he met. Jesus shows us how to enjoy loving each other. But people didn't love Jesus. Instead, they hated him. They put him on a cross to die. But this was part of God's plan. On the cross, Jesus took our sins so that we can be forgiven. Jesus forgives his people for their sins. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose back to life and then went back to live in heaven. And then he gave people his spirit to help them enjoy loving him and loving all the different people they know. Jesus helps us to love each other. One day, God will finish his very good idea. Jesus will come back and make the world perfect again, and anyone who has asked Jesus to forgive them will live there with their different languages and skin colors. They will enjoy loving God and loving each other. They will enjoy praising God for making, rescuing, and finishing his very good idea. But here's a very, very, very good part of God's very good idea. You don't have to wait till then to enjoy it. Jesus welcomes anyone who asks him to forgive them, and when Jesus welcomes someone... 
He welcomes them into his family forever. He welcomes people who like reading and people who like riding bikes. He welcomes people with darker skin and people with lighter skin. He welcomes people with curly hair and people with straight hair. God's family is called the church. Your church friends are your brothers and sisters, your wonderful and colorful church family. You can enjoy loving them and loving God with them. This is God's very good idea. Lots of different people enjoying loving him and loving each other. God made it. People ruined it. He rescued it. He will finish it. And with your church family, you can enjoy being part of it right now. So God had an idea, and he got to work. We ruined it. He got to work to fix it. We've been renewed by it. And now he shared his idea with us, and it's time for us to get to work.